Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Learn more about the program, podcast, and our free 633 event this Sunday when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael and his message in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 called Resurrected Priorities. Go ahead and locate 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look at verses 29 through 34, and we're talking about resurrected priorities. Uh, It's been mentioned as we began the journey through 1 Corinthians 15 that this is the most exhaustive chapter on the theology of the resurrection. We're going to look at the nature of the resurrection body next Sunday, answer some questions about what that will look like. But today we're going to get a little bit more practical, and we're going to talk about the application of the resurrection. Yes, there is an application of this doctrine. It's not just that we know about the resurrection or we celebrate it on an Easter weekend, but there are implications of the resurrection as well. How should it affect the way we live? I was listening to a discussion on radio and someone was talking about the revival days at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa back in the 70s. And a lot of people were being touched by the Holy Spirit and people, the young people were staying for hours to worship and study God's word. It was really neat time. And we're praying that a spirit of revival would come like that again. But Pastor Chuck, yeah, you guys are already clapping. I love it. But Pastor Chuck would say, um, you know, it's not how high you jump when the Holy Spirit hits you. It's how straight you walk when you land. And we can, we can go into church services and get all excited. And, and I don't mind that. I, I love the emotion of worshiping God. I love raising my hands and being in corporate worship. But probably the true test of my walk is not going to be how high I jump or how high I lift up my hands. It's going to be how straight I walk on Monday morning. And the truth of the matter, brothers and sisters, is that those who are doing polls in America are talking about that Christians, professing Christians in America, which, you know, each time we take a poll, it's amazing how many people are professing that they are Christians but then we begin to look at how straight they walk. And when, I'm, when I say walk, I'm talking about how they live. In the New Testament, walk is a synonym for live. So when someone says to you, are you walking with the Lord? Are you walking in the Spirit? That has to do with how are you living with heaven's priorities. It's one thing to make a profession of faith. And look, I know we're all in process. We're all being conformed and transformed. And that's... That's a battle, and it's a lifelong journey. But I will also say this to you. I hope you and I are growing. I hope I can look back at every New Year's Eve and say, I'm not the man that I want to be yet, but I'm certainly not the man that I used to be. And I think that all of us desire that. But we know what the keys are. The keys are really to live with resurrected priorities, to stay in our Bibles, to stay in prayer, to stay in worship, to surround ourselves with good, healthy people. And those are all things that we learn as we go. None of us have arrived. But today we're going to talk about those resurrected priorities. Our text is 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to pick it up in 29. So uh, if you're physically able to, would you stand for the reading of this section? We're going to read it together. 1 Corinthians 15, 29 through 34. Paul writes, Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? 
If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? 1 Corinthians 15, 30. Why are we also in danger every hour? I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. 32. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. You may be seated. Father, we come before you right now as the, this little powerful section, uh, one that has perplexed many a commentator in terms of what baptism for the dead actually means. But here we are, Lord, before your holy word. We know it's alive. We know it's powerful. We know it transforms. It renews our mind. But we also know that there's something that has to happen within us, and we have to be good soil, receptive. We have to have ears to hear what you say. And it's not just a matter of hearing. It is a matter of application. Blessed is the one who not just hears, but does the word of God. In fact, James will say in James 1.22 that if you're merely a hearer and not a doer, you're self-deluded. Those are hard and strong words, but they're true. And Lord, we need to hear the joyous, hopeful sections of uh, the Bible as we have been celebrating the reality of resurrection, but we also need to hear the ones that are a little bit tougher, the ones that challenge our walk. How are we walking during the week? How are we living out our faith. And these are challenging words, but they're ones we need to hear. I need to hear them. So we humbly come before you. We ask that your spirit would speak to your church what you have for us as you walk in the midst of your people. Lord, may you conform us more to your image and may you be glorified through this time in your word. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Now you'll notice in uh, 1529, Paul uses the opening word otherwise. Now, he's been talking about Jesus, and he talks about that Jesus in verse 20 of chapter 15, but now Christ has been raised from the dead and is the first fruits of those who are asleep. Now, if you were with us last Sunday, I gave you that first fruits imagery. It's the first fruits of the harvest. It's marked with a red cord, set aside for the Lord, put before him in the temple, guaranteeing the rest of the harvest. And some of us have heard the idea of first fruits giving, or, you know, we need to give our first and best to the Lord. That's the idea. But that first uh, sheaf that's offered to God guaranteed the rest of the harvest. And the imagery was, since Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, and he rose on the feast of first fruits, and he was presented to God alive, we will follow. We are the rest of the harvest. We also will be resurrected. Now, you guys know that the Corinthians had some silly, goofy doctrines among them. Some of them were denying the resurrection. And Paul says, if you deny the resurrection, then you're denying that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Do you want those implications? And the answer should be no. We know Jesus has risen from the dead. We know that he predicted his own resurrection. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it again. And he did it. The tomb was empty. Jesus is alive. Amen? Now, what that means is because he lives, we will live also. 
In Philippians 3, Paul says that our resurrection body, as we'll delve into this more next Sunday, will be like his. So his is a prototype, if you will, of our resurrection body. We're going to live, we're going to be raised, and there's a one-to-one correspondence between what dies and what rises. You will be you in the resurrection. Now, I will get into all the details of time and uh, death and all of that next Sunday. But we are going to live. There is a day coming when the Son of God will call and we will respond and we will rise. Now, in verse 29, it says, Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead if the dead are not raised at all? Now, what you'll notice as a pattern for you note-takers is that Paul is putting before the Corinthians if, the, if there's no resurrection, then why this? Why that? Why this? And the first one that he mentions is one that I mentioned in my prayer has perplexed many a commentator. What is the baptism for the dead? Now, I was reading a commentary, commentary by Gordon Fee who said there's over 40 different views of the baptism for the dead. Now, we're going to go through all 40. No, I'm just kidding. No, we're not. <laughs> I'm going to give you what I think commentators would consider the top three, and then I'm going to tell you what I believe is the right view. And so we're going to spend just a few moments here. This is going to be the theological portion of this sermon, so put your thinking cap on, if you will, and we're going to get into the more practical with the rest of the verses. But first, we're going to get into the theology of the baptism for the dead. What is it? View number one, if you're taking notes. Commentators say the normal reading of the Greek seems to be obvious. That some people were being vicariously baptized for the dead. Now, I, uh, years ago, I was in a printing company and I had a sales manager, vice president of sales over me. And we had a lot of interesting discussions. He was a bishop in, a, in the Mormon church and I was a Christian pastor. So we would talk We'd go on road trips, and we had good, lively conversations. It wasn't trying to make fun of each other or put each other down. He literally wanted to know what I believed, and I was interested in what he believed. And I had studied Mormonism to a great degree. And one time, I remember he told me that uh, they had had hundreds of baptisms over the weekend, and he was talking about a local ward, like a local church for the Mormons. And I said, hundreds of baptisms? I said, that's amazing. But I came to find out that the hundreds of baptisms were not 200 people being baptized individually. It was maybe a handful of people being baptized by proxy. What do I mean? I mean this. That someone would go into a baptismal like is below me, and they would get baptized for people who had died. This is why the Mormon church keeps such meticulous records of genealogy. Because they go through... Uh, seasons where they get baptized for their ancestors. The belief is that by being baptized in, by proxy, so let's say I had an aunt that passed away, and I'm a Mormon, and I'm not sure that my aunt uh, trusted in the Mormon gospel. And again, I want you guys to know, I'm not trying to put the Mormon church down, but this is something that they practice, so it is relevant. So if I went into the baptismal, and let's say that my aunt was Aunt Jane, And I got baptized on her behalf. So right now I baptize you uh, on behalf of Aunt Jane. 
and I come up out of the water. What I believe as a Mormon is going to happen is that my Aunt Jane now will have a chance to hear the Mormon gospel in the afterlife. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Hello, I'm Rob Newton, producer of Walk in Truth. We regret to inform you all events you've heard about on this program have been canceled until further notice. This is because of the social distancing regulations that have been put in effect in our county. If you'd like to learn more, there's a special update with Pastor Michael on our website, walkintruth.com. Click on events. That's walkintruth.com. Click on events. On behalf of Pastor Michael, the Walk in Truth team, and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, we hope and pray you are well and that you trust in the Lord at this time. Make sure you subscribe to the Walk in Truth podcast, available on your favorite podcast app. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. What I believe as a Mormon is going to happen is that my Aunt Jane now will have a chance to hear the Mormon gospel in the afterlife. That's the view. Now, Commentators, I I will tell you, there's a lot of ways to look at this and slice and dice it, but here's the essence. View number one is that Paul is acknowledging something that the Corinthians are involved in, some in the church, who are practicing proxy or vicarious baptism for the dead. And that Paul does not agree with what they are doing, but uses it, uses the argument to say, why would you ever do this if you don't believe there's a resurrection anyway? Now that sounds good and that may be the closest to the original Greek or the plain reading of the text, but there's some serious problems with that. For example, if that were true, if Paul believed that some in the church were practicing proxy baptism and it is a false view, would not Paul, would you not expect Paul to correct the view right here? I would. I mean, Paul never hesitated to correct false theology. Let's ask some deeper questions. Does baptism save a person? The answer is no. We, as the Christian church, now there are some movements out there that teach what's called baptismal regeneration. Say, that's a big phrase, I need more coffee, what does that mean? Baptismal regeneration teaches that the moment that you go into the water of baptism, you are regenerated, that is, born again. The moment that you go under And you come up now being born again. But as we study the scriptures, here's what we know. Water does not save us. Jesus saves us. Right? It's the blood of Jesus. It's his vicarious atonement on the cross. Him dying in my place and me receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now we can use some examples of deathbed conversions or the thief on the cross or Paul saying early on in 1 Corinthians 1, I, did not, I wasn't called to come and baptize, but to preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.17. So there's a difference between the gospel and baptism. Baptism is not the gospel. Please hear me. It's a picture of the gospel. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. It's the first act of obedience. It's what people did after they received Jesus as Lord, after they confessed him, after they were born again of the Holy Spirit. Then they went into the waters of baptism publicly to confess and convey their faith in Christ. In fact, throughout church history, my understanding of church history up until the last couple hundred years is that the main way that you gave a testimony to a corporate uh, group like this of the church is at your baptism, not at an altar call, but at your water baptism. 
At second service, we're going to baptize a young lady today, and it's going to be a great honor to baptize her. She's already received Jesus as her Lord, and she's going to share a little bit about why she's being baptized, give a short testimony. This is why we ask people if you'd like to share at your baptism, because we understand that that's the time to give the public testimony of what Christ has already done in your heart. But prior to being baptized in water, you got to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, right? you got to be baptized into the body, baptized into Christ, which I think are all uh, synonymous ideas. You have to have a spiritual birth. In other words, if, if you did not have a spiritual birth and I dunked you in water, the water would not transform you. You have to be transformed on the inside. The water becomes a picture of that transformation. Everybody with me? Now, I'm not downplaying baptism. Jesus told us to baptize. He said to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's what we do. But we do it as a first act of obedience to convey an already spiritual reality that's taking place on the inside. Everybody with me? Now, there are groups out there, and you might meet them at the mall, who say, unless you're baptized by our minister and our baptismal, in the name of Jesus only, you're not saved. That is absolutely false. That's a lie. Jesus saves. But baptism is the first act to say, Lord, I am not ashamed. And I'm going to go into the water publicly to say, I believe in you and I'm going to follow you. Now, what is it then? Is Paul simply acknowledging a false vicarious atonement, something that maybe happened in the cults? Uh, you may be interested to know that the Corinthians had some weird superstitious views. And I'm talking about now just the city. And they had some superstitious views of the underworld. And uh, scholars have tried, in order to back up view number one, to try to find something where maybe these people in pagan religions, non-Christian religions, were doing this practice to maybe free spirits in the underworld or something like that, but they can't find it. It's just not there. Now, it is interesting to note that there were a couple of fringe groups who followed Marcion and one other that were doing this apparently in the second century but it was considered heretical it was considered wrong or a heresy so i don't think that that's what paul uh, is addressing here although there is some compelling evidence for it in other words if if paul believed uh that that this is what people were doing and he needed to correct it this is something important to correct because this is an issue of salvation think with me this is what scholars would say, it's salvific. What does that mean? Well, it means that if the people were being baptized by proxy on behalf of others, they believed that people's souls were at stake. I don't think that Paul would have passed by an opportunity to make sure that people understood that that's not how you get saved. In fact, we would argue that once you have died, your opportunity to receive the Lord is over, Right? We need to decide in this life. There is no evidence in the New Testament that there's a second chance gospel for those who have died. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Now is where you need to repent of your sin and receive Jesus as your Lord. Don't wait until it's too late. We have pictures of people who have perished in Luke 16. And the man wishes that he could go and warn his family. And, and the response of Abraham in that Section of Luke 16, 19 through 31 is it's over. You're here. There's no crossing over. They have 
Moses and they have the prophets. Let them listen to them. This guy is concerned about his family. Here's my point. But he's died and he has no opportunity. It sound, he sounds even repentant. He's sorry that he is where he is. But there's no second chance gospel. So walking this view out, it would seem to me far-fetched that Paul would not have correct something this important about how one is saved if there was a false view among the Corinthians. You're listening to Resurrected Priorities, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 29 through 34. Make sure you subscribe to get our daily devotional called A Step Closer. The devotional is another way to help you dive deeper into the Bible and a step closer to the Lord. Help us equip you and subscribe to the A Step Closer devotional. Visit walkintruth.com to learn more. Now here's Pastor Michael with a word. We're grateful that you're listening. And if you're new to this broadcast or you've been listening for a while, one of the goals that we have is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people. And part of that equipping is answering questions. We've been encouraging you to ask your question. And those questions we try to deal with on the air whenever we can. And we do have a question from Lorraine in regard to 1 Corinthians 14. And this is a chapter that really lays out how to navigate the gifts of the Spirit in the church setting. And Lorraine had asked, you know, I had made a comment that these gifts like tongues and prophecy are best served in a believer's meeting, and she referenced uh, 1 Corinthians 14, where it talks about, just to kind of summarize, what about if an uh, ungifted or unbeliever walks in, because it does say that the secrets of his heart will be revealed, and he'll fall down on his face, and he'll worship God and report that God is truly among you. In that section, Paul is making a distinction between tongues and prophecy, And he does say in verse 23, if everybody's speaking in a tongue and the uninformed or unbeliever walks in, he's going to think you're all nuts. He'll think you're mad or out of your mind, literally. But if all prophesy, so there's a distinction between tongues and prophecy from 23 to 24 in 1 Corinthians 14, then that person will be convinced by all and convicted by all. And then uh, the Lord will speak to him. Now, Um, This prophecy, of course, is a debated topic, just like the topic of tongues is debated in the church. But I will say this to you, that it could be a sermon being preached. It could be uh, the study of Scripture and commentary in the Scripture. But it also seems to be here that people would be prophesying using a gift from the Spirit, and it exposes someone. Maybe an insight into something that's going on in their life, maybe a Scripture that directly applies to them. But notice again, if you read it carefully, there's a distinction between tongues and prophecy. And the overall message of 1 Corinthians 14 is that God is a God of order, not confusion, not chaos. If the uninformed and unbeliever and or unbeliever walks in to chaos, they're going to want to walk out. But if they walk into order and truth, then their heart can be convicted And they will fall down our prayers. They'll fall down and ask Jesus to be their Lord and Savior or come back home to him. So, Lorraine, I hope that helps. And I'm sure other people have questions about that very thing, because many people have walked into churches, frankly, when it's been chaos and out of order. And that is not God. That's not the God of the Bible. He does all things in order. 
They need to be intelligible so that people can understand, be edified, which is a big topic in this section. And so we need God's wisdom. Do we need to be governed by God? But edification, intelligibility uh, are very big themes here. And so we need to keep that in mind as we test all things and hold fast to that, which is good and true. Thank you, Lorraine, for asking the question. God bless you. And if you have a question, you can ask your question as well by reaching out to us at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. And hopefully we'll get a chance to answer your question on the air. We'll try to get back to you by email. But it's a great way to ask your question. And somebody else is probably thinking the same thing. So it will minister to many, many people. Walkintruth.com. Tune in tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 called Resurrected Priorities. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.